and welcome back to A Texan Abroad. This is the 10th in my video podcast series, Political Conversations, um, that I'll be doing that will finish with the U.S. election next month. You can find the videos on Instagram TV or on my Instagram profile, A Texan Abroad. You can find the audio versions on my podcast, A Texan Abroad, available on iTunes or anywhere where you find podcasts. Find me someplace, subscribe, rate, review, let me know how I'm doing. If you disagree, agree with some of the things that I'm saying and the topics I'm discussing. And as always, if you're interested in joining me for a talk, by all means, let me know and we'll have you on. Yesterday, talked a little bit about hate and prejudice, how we define it, how we can perhaps overcome it, how it affects us, how we all fall victim to it in some ways. Today, I'd like to talk about a manifestation of that hate and anger that sometimes sees itself rears its ugly head in modern-day society. That is what we might call cancel culture, shaming. And first, I think it's important to kind of explain what it is, cancel culture. I I think you've probably heard Donald Trump or some world leader uh, or some important person talk about it. It's essentially the idea that uh, large groups of people get together or agree about something online and begin to attack someone for something wrong that they've said or done. And we decide as a society, or someone decides as a group of people, an online horde or mob, that that person needs to be canceled. That person needs to be put in their place and taken out from their position of prominence or power. Uh, And whether that's a business, an individual, a leader of a company, um, whoever it may be, their time has come to meet justice in a way, is the way that the online mob would have you believe. In some ways, I think it it has um, good origins. Its intentions are somewhat noble. The idea is to hold powerful people, people that are often uh, above the reach of the common individual, to hold them account, to make them responsible for their actions, especially when these people uh, treat others in such an incredibly inhumane and terrible way. The origin, which is the next kind of idea that I'll cover, where does it come from? Uh, Whether it actually came out of the Me Too movement or the Me Too movement was just one of the largest and most prominent examples of it, that is, I think, where it started to take off uh, in terms of the idea that a group of women could hold men who were too powerful previously to account for their wrongdoings, for their bad behavior, for their misconduct, which I think is an incredible aspect. I think that being in certain positions in today's society, especially uh, being a woman, is by no means easy. And I think that when you get people together to, again, hold them to hold leaders, to hold um, famous people, rich people, people that are typically not above the law, but they have the means and the power to manipulate it in some ways, to hold those people to account for all of their actions, um, good and bad, I think that's it's understandable. And again, uh, I think that's a, a worthwhile idea. Um, that being said, I think the idea of cancel culture, the notion, the kind of movement has gone too far. And I think there are some dangerous elements to that. When we start deciding as large angry mobs of people and that's essentially what we are 
when we do that online, when we kind of commit to this shaming idea, this cancel culture idea, we are acting like villagers with pitchforks and, and torches going after the person that we believe did something incredibly wrong. Why is it dangerous? Um, well, I think the first and most fundamental I, you know, dangerous aspect of it is that the American justice system, despite all of its flaws, is built on what I think is an incredibly important concept. The idea that it's better to let 10 guilty men go free than convict one innocent man. There are other justice systems around the world, in some countries where I've lived and stepped foot and called home, where it's quite the opposite. It's better to let 10, guilt, 10 innocent men serve time than it is to let one guilty man go free. And that puts the fear of God in most citizens because they become fearful for their freedom, afraid that tyranny will rule the day. In the U.S., it's quite the opposite. Now, of course, does it mean that all people that go to prison are guilty? Not at all. There are faults and flaws with our justice system, which I'll discuss at a later date. But the idea, the tenet behind it, is that we need to make sure that we're putting guilty people in jail, not innocent people that only if you owe a debt to society because of a wrongful act you've committed against another person or against the things that we've deemed to be as a culture, lawful or unlawful, only then do you have a penance to pay. Cancel culture goes against that. The accusation is the guilty verdict. Every time that there's a recantation, a uh, uh, taking back of an accusation or a proof of innocence, actually, that is on the back page. It's, you know, page 12. It's at the bottom footnote. It's not even really considered or thought about. And that's a problem because we need to be careful about who is held account for what. We don't want someone to be punished, to be canceled, because they haven't done anything. And yes, how do we go about making women or people who are oppressed, people who are wronged, how do we make it so that they feel they can challenge uh, those who are higher than them, those in power? That's an important aspect, and we, we need to understand and try and find some sort of happy medium ground where the average person feels uh, powerful in a way that they can actually hold those people to account. But also that those people who are accused of something do not have the negative consequences until it is actually proven that they are guilty of the things they are accused of. A second problem that I have, or that society has with cancel culture, is that essentially we're judging people by their worst day. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes uh, the idea of canceling someone or holding them to account is because of a pattern of behavior, a period uh, of uh, misdeeds. That's understandable. Maybe we need to hold someone like that truly to account by canceling them for a longer time. But for some people, it's just one thing that they say, one tweet that they retweet, or one thought, one idea, one accidental night or day, one action. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be judged by my worst day. I don't try and judge people by their worst days, and I hope to God they don't judge me by mine. I've had some pretty bad days. I've had made some pretty poor decisions. I continue to do it. It doesn't mean I'm not a good person. It doesn't mean I'm not going to try and do better tomorrow. 
but it doesn't mean that I fall down from time to time. And what I hope is that people will tell me when I fall down and how I've fallen and what I did that was wrong. And then I get a chance to correct myself and be better. And everything that I've seen with this kind of culture, this uh, mob mentality, it's not about giving people second chances. It's about vengeance almost in a way. It, it's not about retribution. It's, uh, it's, it's just about attacking someone that you think um, deserves to be attacked. And we have a problem with our justice system because in a way it's exactly what the justice system does. And again, I'll get to that in a later discussion. But I do think we have to tap that break in terms of judging everyone by that one bad mistake, that one misspoken word, that one bad act on that bad night after one too many drinks or whatever it may be. We have to be careful about that. The third thing, the third negative about this aspect of culture is the endangerment of free speech generally. And what that means is, and I've talked to a guy that I've mentioned on this podcast before who's been on this podcast, was talking about this with my friend Bob not long ago. The dangerousness of this, the danger of it, is that we drown out the minority views. We actually make people afraid to espouse ideas and views that are different from the vocal majority. And the vocal majority is not always actually the majority. It's just the people who are speaking and yelling the loudest. We, freedom of speech, it's not a half-assed thing. You don't get to decide these people have free speech and these people don't. Free speech means everyone has the right to express their opinion, no matter how vulgar or ugly or terrible you may think it is. That's what free speech is all about. Not to mention, you may agree with the majority view at this particular moment, but there's nothing to say that that majority view will be the majority view for the foreseeable future. Once you find yourself in the minority, then you'll understand exactly how it feels to be drowned out by all of those who want you canceled. So I think there is a danger there. We need to understand that not everyone's opinion is like our own, and we need to encourage dialogue and discourse as opposed to trying to shame someone. Because the last part, the last dangerousness, is that, in my opinion, shaming doesn't work. Shaming isn't changing the person or the idea or the belief that they have. Shaming just pushes it below the surface. So does shaming work? I think actually Donald Trump is a great example of how shaming actually affects people. It gets pushed kind of just below the surface, skin deep. And people still have that resentment, that hatred, that vitriol. They want to say something, but they feel that they can't. And then when a demagogue comes along and starts talking like that, ignores the rules of common decency, they relate to them, right? Donald Trump, for all of his faults, faults and flaws and terrible aspects of leadership, which I've talked about many times before, he says what he wants to say. And no politician in a long time has ever taken that mentality. So I understand how that is captivating to some people. It's, in a way, it's captivating to me. Because there are things I wish politicians would stand up and say that a lot of politicians probably understand is true. Holding voters accountable for the people that they vote for. Putting voters accountable for being manipulated by social media, something that I'll talk about tomorrow. But politicians have to be political and they have to be careful about what they say. 
We don't want people to do that. We want people to speak their own truths, their own opinions, so that we can then have the conversation with them about why they believe this thing that we deem to be not appropriate. And that's how do we actually strike a balance? How do we find these people who have bad ideas, bad thoughts, who have done bad things? I think the first thing is we need to understand who thinks what, who did what. And we need to talk to them about it. We need to open the dialogue. We need to forgive for mistakes, not hold everyone, you know, their feet to the fire for the worst thing that they've ever done. Yeah, we need to forgive, to converse, and to try and make people a little bit better. Yeah, we need to understand uh, the details and the context of what happens with every person, right? You can't just read a headline and understand every situation. We need to understand allegations versus truth. What one person says versus what actually really happens. Sometimes there's uh, one, one side is lying completely. Sometimes both sides are fibbing a little bit and the truth lies in the middle. We need to understand that not everyone thinks exactly like us. We need to understand that those people who think differently, we need to take the time to understand why they think that, why they disagree with our opinion and talk it out. Maybe there's a middle ground, maybe not. I was listening to the podcast The Daily by the New York Times the other day and the amazing host was actually talking to uh, an abortions rights advocate and he asked her, uh, what about those people who believe in abortion as a right but not in the, to the extent that you do. And she said, no, they don't know what they're talking about. They need to come to our side. There was a, in her voice, an insistence that her idea was correct. And that bothers me a little bit because no one's idea is purely correct. A lot of these ideas, a lot of the issues that I'm talking about here, there's no right or wrong answers. There's just a lot of gray area. And it's difficult, as I've said, to put every issue, every answer, every person in a single box or one of two boxes. We need to talk to each other and come up with the best solutions. And that's what these podcasts are about. That's what these videos are about. I'm trying to get out there the idea that talking to one another is so incredibly important. So please do that today. Do that tonight. Do that for the next month. And until tomorrow, I'm a Texan abroad. Uh -huh.